Hi everyone, this is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Christian Schnell from Novartis and Chung Tan, a technical expert for the iPressio programmable pumps. They both recently joined us for a webinar on understanding the pharmacokinetic pharmacodynamic relationships of drug compounds and their connections to anti-tumor efficacy for oncology research. Let's dive in. How long is the recommended surgery recovery time? So I think you have to discriminate between rats and mice. I think what we have uh, done, and I have to say with, with, a, with a great success, is that in, in mice, we are waiting three to four days before we can, first of all, put the animal together again so that they are not, let's say, opening the knots or, or from one to, to the other. In rats, at least in our experience, it took a little bit longer, so we waited. But I would say this is the time frame between three and five days. Okay, perfect. The next question here is, have you used high viscosity formulations with programmable pumps and do they work well? So far, I think we were lucky to use, uh, let's say, most of the time solutions which are not viscous. I see the viscous I have used and I, this was on one of the of the slide was 20% cyclodextrin. So that was the highest I have used so far. But uh, I'm sure uh, there are some experience outside the Novartis with the pumps that maybe other people are using higher viscosity, and I'm sure Tung can certainly give you some input on that. Great. There's another question here that is asking, is there any difficulty with low solubility compounds and complex formulations? Do you have any recommendations to make sure that drug doses don't crash out of solution? So my, my recommendation is quite easy. Ask the chemist to do the right compounds, which are soluble. <laughs> so that's easy to say, but obviously not reality. I think one, one way we have, we have choose to go is really to have some experts helping you. I think some formulation people, this is their job to really find out the best media to, to solubilize your, your compound. And especially working hand in hand to tell them, look, this is more or less the, concentration I would like to be because you see what I would at least based on the in vitro data expect to see some efficacy so that's something I definitely need you don't have to go higher this is not going to help us a lot so that's really a daily interaction with them until uh, they found the, the optimal media if you want uh, or vehicle to to to, to this dissolve your compound but it, it's going to be a, a challenge from one compound to another uh, I think that's obviously our daily life and uh, you will also so get to a stage where you will have compounds which obviously will not fit in apparent delivery or in, in a pump. I just hope that at the end of the day, it's not going to be a high percentage and that you should really use the pumps, as I say, for the compound, which are hopefully compatible with, with such an approach. Awesome. Okay. So we have a question here. The question is, can you combine the iPressio pump with telemetry and glucose probes that are implanted it would would it be a problem for a mouse to support the weight of all of this equipment that's a really good question also especially in in, in lights of the three hours i i have to say in mice i would be reluctant to do it that's just too much in terms of weight they will have on their back to 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 move around i think that's the reason why we have decided to do this approach in rats these are all the data i showed you uh, these are real data and i can tell you that the rats storage is really really well uh, there is no problem to have the telemetry transmitter implanted intraperitoneally with uh, 
the glucosensor in the aorta and at the same time an iprazole pump on the back with an IV infusion. That works really, really, really well. Nevertheless, as I said, I would be really reluctant to do this uh, in mice. And I'm not sure that the home office would, would allow you to do that. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. All right. There's another question here about location of the pump. So this person has asked which part of the body should the mini pump be implanted in order to reduce um, or avoid impairment of the animal's locomotion and welfare? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question and, and, and really precise. I think according to uh, what we decided to do at the beginning, and this was a little bit according to the textbooks, was to have uh, the pump implanted on the scapula, which is basically on the on the back uh, of, your, of your animal. What we very rapidly discovered is that over time, the pump will not stay there and it will slip on the side, on the flank, either right or left. In our case, it's quite important because as you have seen in the in one of the slides, we have the tumor implanted subcutaneously on one flank of the animal. So we don't want to have the pump collating with uh, the tumor at the same time. This would be a mess. So what we decided to do then upfront is to say, look, let's implant the pump on the opposite flank, which anyway, the pump will go with time. And what we very easily saw is that, as I say, with these 200 implantations, the animal locomotion is not impaired at all. So they, they can handle that really, really well. And it's in addition, even easier than trying to, to, to put them on the scapula where you have to fix them with knots that takes time. And as you know, if you want to have a surgery with the biggest success rate possible, one of the key element is reduce the time of the surgery. So everything which prolongs surgery will be deleterious for your animal. So I think there is a win-win here. It's easier, it's better for the animal, and the pump in any way goes there. So just do it from right away. Okay, fantastic suggestions there. Another question here, this person has asked, can you apply this continuous, well-controlled administration using these pumps directly to tumors, like intratumoral, for example, in a brain tumor? What a great idea. <laughs> yes, obviously, this is feasible. I think we have used uh, this, um, and this was presented in one of my previous uh, webinars a few years ago, when we used this pump for intracranial infusion of a compound directly uh, at the level where the tumors were sit in uh, these uh, glioblastoma tumors in, in the brain. And uh, we could clearly see that this was a tremendous benefit in terms of anti-tumor efficacy versus a normal dosing. Why? Because obviously the compound didn't have to cross the BBB, blood-brain barrier, and it could really act directly on the tumor cells where it should. Yes, uh, this is feasible. And uh, for such an approach like, like the glioblastoma brain tumors, it, it's a must, definitely. Yeah. Okay, Christian, this question is, did you perform an initial loading dose to reach steady state faster? I think that's obviously something you can do. It's easy. To be honest, we haven't done that in our program so far. It was not necessary, but I'm aware that for several other projects, obviously, this could be a very nice approach, especially in oncology, in order to mitigate a little bit the, let's say, tolerability issues or maybe to get maximum efficacy at the beginning and hopefully enough to kill the cells and then don't regrow afterwards. So, yes, this is feasible, but in my hands, to be honest, we have never done that now. Okay. And Chung, this question is actually for you, I think. Do you know if the iPressio pumps are compatible with in vivo imaging systems? Actually, I'm not 
Not sure on that. It depends on the in vivo imaging system. Christian, have you done some yourself? I remember in your first presentation, yeah, you yeah, did yeah, some yeah. luminescence. Yeah, so maybe what, what I can say is that obviously it's compatible with um, everything except MRI. So if you have a magnet, you will have a problem. But I think, you know, if you want to do some X-ray or if you want to do, uh, let's say, even some bioluminescence readouts and so on, this, this is not going to be deleterious, except that if the pump is in between your tumor in this case and your camera you will have a shielding which is not what you want but that's something which is easy to to to, to handle so i think the only limitation i see here is is the same as for telemetry for example you cannot go in a magnet with something with some lead and metal inside because it will just kill your animal right that makes sense okay this question is, can you also implant these pumps for intraocular administration in rabbits or non-human primate eyes for glaucoma, AMD treatments, etc.? So my answer is clear. Yes, it's certainly feasible. I had uh, some, in my career, I have done some intraocular pressure measurements with uh, radio telemetry in, in rabbits. And I can tell you that the same way I was inserting my, 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 my sensor in the, in, in the vitreous of the eye, you could do it also with this pump. I don't see any, any issue here. Uh, but to be honest, I have not done it myself. So that's something which um, I think is quite um, exciting to hear. And I, I would be happy to, to see such a publication in the future that uh, this was done. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you kind of just answered this question, but I'll reiterate. This person has asked if you've ever used these pumps in larger animals like ferrets and rabbits? Not myself, no. I think, as you know, oncology is 99% is mice and rats. So this is my two species I'm dealing with daily and we have not used them in other uh, species. Obviously, all the tox department for them is definitely different and I'm sure they, are, they have maybe some experience on dogs. But obviously, given the size of these tracer pumps, they are designed for small animals. And this is exactly where I think uh, they have the biggest advantage due to the size we can really do some meaningful preclinical uh, work in mice and rats uh, with that. But I'm quite sure that big animals are feasible. I don't know, Tsung, if you have some feedbacks on this. Yeah, they, they have been used in larger animals as well. Ferrets, um, I think I, I only know of one publication. They've been used in rabbits, dogs, um, non-human primates, etc. So large animals, they do work as well. But of course, as you, you said, Christian, the, it depends on the flow rate, but they, they do work. Okay, great. Christian, this question is for you. Have you ever used the implantable pumps for intraperitoneal dosing? And if so, how did you secure the cannula in the abdomen? Again, a, a very good and specific question. I have used the pumps for subcutaneous delivery, which is obviously easier to secure the catheter. I can only say from my experience that if you want to use an intraperitoneal infusion, that's certainly not a problem. But I, what I would recommend is to really secure the tip of your infusion catheter to the abdominal wall. If not, I think you could have problems with the intestines that you will have then maybe some, let's say, conjunctions or that the intestine is moving around, around the catheter. So this, yeah, there is no point to get into trouble if you can solve it easily just by securing the catheter to the abdominal wall. Makes sense. Are there any behavioral changes between non-implanted and implanted animals that you've noticed, for example, in terms of locomotion or rearing performed by the mice or rats? 
Based on my experience, I would say nothing obvious, at least by eye. As I say, the only behavioral change you will see uh, just after implantation is that the animals will start to leak the wound. They will try to get rid of your knots, uh, but that's something which is not specific to Ipritio or to the pump. It's for any kind of surgery. But afterwards, uh, once they adapted or they went over this early phase, I have never seen any any kind of changes on, on this. And I think maybe a very good readout, which is also important, and this is thanks to the um, telemetry, is that we could also measure body temperature in this animal at the same time as blood glucose. And we have very nice to see that this diurnal rhythm in body temperature, which is higher during the night when they are active and lower when they are sleeping, uh, is coming back already after five, after five days, meaning that the animals really recovered their normal physiological cycles very rapidly. And as a consequence, the behavior is fully normal. hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.